Welcome to the Community of Faith podcast, where you will hear the exposition of God's Word taught by Rev. Patrick Parham, pastor of Faith Community Fellowship in Bristol, Tennessee. If you are in the Bristol area and would like to visit, please join us for Sunday morning worship beginning at 10 a.m. If you're not able to join us in person, join us online. Visit our website, faith-cf.org. That's faith-cf.org. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash faithcommunityfellowshipbristol. That's all one word, Faith Community Fellowship Bristol. Here at Faith Community Fellowship, our goal is to ensure that what we do is edifying to our Heavenly Father, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to you. Let's join Pastor Pat as he brings us God's Word. Verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 14 down through verse 40. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I would speak to this people, and yet for all that they would not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is judged by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, let one interpret. If there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. They are to be in submission, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Did the Word of God come originally from you, or was it only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful privilege it is to be in Your house, to look into Your Word, to read Your very thoughts and know that You are expressing principles that are for our good, that help us know You in a fuller way, that bring order and decency into our lives and cause us to be able to be good influences in this world because You work through us. 
And I pray that as we walk through this passage, that we will see principles that help us as Your people to grow in knowledge of You, to be encouraged in our walk with You, to have a greater hope of Your second coming and having eternal eternity to spend with You in heaven. Help us, Lord, to follow the teachings of the Scriptures even when we're kind of surprised by them or, or, or they say something that uh, we don't quite understand. But just help us to submit to Scripture, to love You with all of our hearts, and to go away loving You more than when we arrived, knowing it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now he begins this section with some additional thoughts about tongues and prophecy. He talks about the law there in verse 21. When he talks about the law, he's not talking about the Mosaic Pentateuch necessarily or just those five books. He's bringing in the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus spoke the same way. We talked about the law many times, but quoting from other passages of Scripture than what we think of as the first five books of law. This particular passage is in Isaiah, Isaiah 28, and it begins about verse 11 there and goes into verse 12. And in the context, if you go back and read that chapter in Isaiah 12, the context there is Isaiah is speaking of the Israelite people. And he's saying even they were not mature in the faith. They didn't have very much scriptural knowledge. And he compares them to very young children. Children who have so young they've just been weaned. He talks about those Israelites as being ones that need to be taught precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. They can't take very much knowledge at one time. And of course, Paul has talked about the Corinthians in the same uh, tone and, and context in this book as well. And then in verse 11 of Isaiah 28, which is the one Paul is referring to here, judgment is talked about. And the judgment is people coming and speaking to them in tongues that they cannot understand. Because, as the chapter goes on, they wouldn't listen when the Lord spoke. And from that Old Testament reference, that Old Testament reference that set in the context a judgment upon a people who did not respond to the Word of God anywhere close to a right way, he draws the conclusion of verse 22. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Remember, he's drawing that conclusion from Isaiah when he says they are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. And uh, they are that is carried out and is uh, brought out in other places in the New Testament. Think, for example, of Acts chapter two. You remember Acts chapter two. The context there is the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out upon the 120 in the upper room. And then they spill out into the city streets of Jerusalem in testifying and talking to people in foreign languages, languages that the people could understand, uh, but the apostles and the other Christians didn't know in and of themselves. 
And Peter begins to get up and preach. And you remember that great message that he's preaching there in Acts chapter 2. And so the Holy Spirit had fell and Peter is preaching. But who was he preaching to? He was preaching to unbelievers. He really was. Now, they were in Jerusalem because they were either Jews and active in the Jewish religion or they were proselytes and active in the Jewish religion. But as far as related to the message of Jesus and the cross, they were unbelievers. And the result was many, many were saved. And Paul is saying that's the purpose of tongues. Therefore, a sign to unbelievers. But in chapter 20, verse 22, prophesying, that is, foretelling of the message, is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Explaining the Bible in principial form through systematic teaching and application is for believers because they're the ones that love the Word of God and desire to be taught. In Psalm 119 and 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, can preaching and teaching of the Scriptures benefit unbelievers? Sure. Sure it can. But how does it benefit them? It has convicting power. It causes them to see the need of faith and repentance, just like it did us. And then when those gifts of faith and repentance are exercised, the unbeliever becomes what? A believer. And then they're part of the assembly of God, and they're also ones that love the Word of God, and the message continues. And so he, he draws that conclusion, and he gives a guideline here in verse 23. He said, if all the church comes together in one place, he's talking about coming together in assembly, and everybody speaks with tongues, Somebody comes in from outside and doesn't know anything about the church or anything about what's going on, they're going to think you're just out of your mind. You don't know what you're doing. He said, no one in the church can learn from that. Confusion is the obvious result. And no one from the world is going to stay around long enough to be helped. And then he goes on and he gives some further thoughts about prophecy in verse 24. You see, prophecy has the capacity to convict sinners and reveal their hearts. Prophecy being exposition of the Scriptures. Prophecy, if an unbeliever, an unenforced person comes in, he's convinced, he is judged by all, meaning that he recognizes his need and he is convicted of sin. It reveals his inner heart. It reveals his inner heart and because it reveals the secrets of his heart, he falls down and begins to worship and repent and says, God is among you. Now he's talking about, as I mentioned, the exposition of the Scriptures. And how could the Scriptures do that? Because over in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible is described in this way. And you know the verse, the Word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And it might, at that time or some later time in a person's heart, lead to repentance. 
lead to repentance. Them falling down and worshiping and reporting that God is truly among you. He is describing the effect of the Word on unbelievers when they truly hear it in a spiritual sense and they see themselves as they truly are sinners before a just and holy God in need of mercy and grace. They're convicted. They are convinced of their need and they are invited to the throne of grace where they can find help in their time of need. And people are saved through these means. The avenue of the Word of God. It is the conduit through which the gifts of God flow into the human heart. Peter talks of it this way, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. And then when you get down to verse 26, down through verse 33, overall, as you read through these verses, all, all the way down, you're really getting a, a little bit of an insight into what went on in a first century Christian worship service. But that's not the main thrust here. The main thrust is to establish order out of what is the very best with a chaotic worship service. And in order to do that, what does Paul do? Well, he doesn't come up with some great novel idea that nobody's ever heard of before. He simply goes back to the basics. He goes back to the basics of Christian walking with God. And that is so necessary for us to grasp. If your home is in a mess financially, how do you get out of it? Do you need some wonderful, great new idea? Probably not. You just need to go back to the base station and quit spending more than you make. Something like that. If your marriage is all tore up and you're not getting along, what do you need? You need to get back to the basics. How, why did your wife love you to start with? Well, go back and start doing some of that kind of thing again. And if the church service and the church is in trouble, what Paul is doing here, he is saying, go back to the basics. Look back to the principles that help God's people in all areas of life. In verse 26, he says simply, let all things be done for edification. He said, how is it when, when the church comes together, everybody's got a teaching they want to share at the same time. Some knowledge of a particular passage that you just got to share right then. How is it that everybody's got a tongue and they got to speak all at the same time and nobody understands anybody? Or why does everybody have to attempt to explain a mystery of God's Word or revelation at the same time or give an interpretation of an unknown tongue? All of those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with them if they're used in a good and godly way. But if several people are competing for the attention of the church, the result is not going to be what he says here in verse 26, that all things be done for edification. The motivation would seem not to be the good of the body and to bring glory to God, but something along the lines of, look at me, i got a gift. That's the way it looks. So he says the first principle let all things be done to build up the brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
nail that down. If what you're doing is edifying somebody, is building them up, well then stay with it. If it's detracting, well then let it go. Then he has a second a general principle. All the way down there in verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. He begins to talk about if languages are going to be a benefit, they need to be understood by the hearers. He talks about that up in verse 27 and 28. He said, if anybody's going to speak it in turn, we'll do it in order. Let there be at least just two or three at the most. And if it's not an interpreter, don't do it at all because you, nobody will understand it. Same thing with prophets. He says, if the prophets speak, just let two or three of them talk. And let the others judge if what they're saying is of the Spirit of God by the Word of God is what you could interject there. If anything's revealed to somebody else sitting by, let the first keep silent. Don't be talking over other people. Don't be jumping up and saying something and, uh, and saying the Spirit moved me and I just had to speak. So no, the, sub, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You didn't have to do that. He gives that wonderful principle. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all of the churches of the saints. And what he's getting at there, he, he point blank brings out in verse 36. Did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reaches? He, he, he's really asking, do you at the Corinthian church really believe you're the only church in existence? Why don't you look around and see this? Read the scriptures and see what other churches do. Then he has some concluding thoughts, beginning in verse thirty-four, concerning women in the worship service. That your women keep silent in the churches and so forth. If you want to learn something, let them ask the husbands at home. Now, as I say, he's, I, I believe he's probably speaking of a regular teaching, such as preaching, or maybe an adult. Uh, mixed Sunday school class, something like that. He cannot be talking about uh, that they don't have the privilege of following the leading of the Spirit and they, in prophesying and things like that because he's already covered that back in chapter 11 and verse 5. Chapter 11 and verse 5 where he says, but let every woman who prays or prophesies with a head uncovered dishonor to him for that is one and the same as if her head was shaved. So obviously they were praying and prophesying in the worship service. We can't be talking about that but he is talking, I think, about structured teaching and preaching. And that goes along with other portions of the New Testament, such as First Timothy uh, chapter 2 there. But there's also some things in, that we need to consider in the line of culture in the first century. In the first century world, in the Roman Empire, whether, whether, whether we want to believe it or whether we accept it or whether we like it or whether we don't, the fact is that women weren't educated. They weren't, they weren't considered uh, that wasn't something that they did. And they, uh, they, they weren't educated. And as a whole culture, not Christianity, but as a whole, the culture of that day and age treated women as a lower class than men. That's just historically correct. But... 
The Bible doesn't do that. And I'll talk about that a little bit more here in a few moments. It doesn't do that. It goes down to verse 36 and 7, down through there. Look at verse 36. Did the Word of God come originally from you? Verse 37, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet, let him acknowledge the things which I write to you are the commandments of God. You need to back up this a little bit and remember who it is that's writing the epistle. The Corinthians should certainly recognize Paul's writings as the Word of God. He had founded their church. The ones there that were saved in the first group of Corinthians Christians were brought to knowledge of salvation through Paul's ministry. He evangelized them. He taught them. He organized the church. He trained their elders and their teachers. He wrote in chapter 9 and verse 2, If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He said, if somebody there thinks they're spiritual, well, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing is, is the commandments of the Lord. But then if anyone's ignorant, let him be ignorant. That is, if a person won't listen to and submit to the Word of God spiritually, they are unteachable. What do we do then? We pray for them. We continue to witness to them. And perhaps down the road a little ways, God will work in their hearts and open it up for them to listen to the Word of God spiritually. But rejection of the Word of God is the same as rejection of God Himself. When believe the Word gives us life, it's the vehicle through which we are sanctified. It feeds our souls and allows us to hear from our Lord and it gives order to our lives. And He ends up, therefore, verse 39, desire earnestly to prophesy, which is the same as if He was saying, desire to be used of God to build others up in the faith. He said, I want you to desire that. Forbid not to speak in tongues. Used in the right way. Paul had no problem with that. And do all things decently and in order, which is another general principle. Another general principle. I've mentioned three in this passage. Let all things be done for edification. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And let all things be done decently and in order. Now, as we come to our concluding thoughts, never underestimate the Word of God. Read it and study it. Apply it to our lives. Share it with others. It has convicting power. When we witness to people, use the Scriptures as we share. And through it, our minds as Christians can be transformed as they are renewed and we become more and more sanctified, meaning we become more and more like Jesus Christ. Secondly, all spiritual gifts when used greatly, correctly can greatly benefit the church and its individual members. All of them that he's talked about, if we use them according to scriptural guidelines, are wonderful gifts of God, but they're not given to magnify any one person. They are given to convict, build up, and to encourage. What a privilege we have to be the recipient of God's gifts of the Spirit and used to build up other believers and to bring encouragement into their lives. Let me ask you, is there anyone here who doesn't need some encouragement in the faith once in a while? Is there anyone here who is so self-sufficient that we don't 
ever need anybody else to stand with us and build up our faith? Is there anyone here who, who couldn't benefit from having a little more order in our lives? And then I said I was going to come back to the ladies. Ladies, remember, no matter what first century culture taught, no matter what uh, they tried to instill as a way of thinking that uh, women were not of the same value of men, the Lord doesn't see it that way. The New Testament doesn't teach it that way. In Galatians, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have different roles, but there is no difference of worth anywhere taught in the Scriptures. It's just in there. And then back at verse 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. It is true, this chapter, chapter 13, chapter 12, are talking about spiritual gifts. And that general principle is in that context. But can't we see how that verse could be applicable in all of our lives in every area? Does anyone here really believe that it is the will of our loving Heavenly Father for His children to live life all confused and mixed up as if there is no guidebook and nobody can help? God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That simple principle applied in all areas of life could do much to help Christians in this world. Not only in the church and in our worship services and in the use of spiritual gifts, but in life as a whole. Let all things be done decently and in order. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for these verses and for the truth they contain. Thank You for the last several weeks where we've been able to look in depth at chapters 12 through 14 and get the teaching that Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote down for us concerning spiritual gifts. Help us as a church here at Faith Community Fellowship to live in harmony in the unity of the Spirit, to seek to build one another up in the faith, to encourage one another in our walk with You, and to stand beside one another as we defend the faith before unbelievers. Help us to rely upon the Word of God, to rely upon the Christ of the Word, and help us to be faithful to share the message with others. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Pat, for another wonderful message from God's Word. I hope that you have enjoyed listening to Pastor Pat's message. If this has been a blessing to you, please like and follow this podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you would like to support this ministry and the other ministry opportunities at Faith Community Fellowship, please visit our website, faith-cf.org support. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Community of Faith.